0: Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host Chris Ward. Today we have a fantastic episode planned for you guys. Uh, We're going to be sitting down and chatting with Dion Leonard. And first of all, if you're an an ultra running enthusiast, (laughs) just check out Dion Leonard's ultra sign up and it's going to probably make your brain explode um the last two years he has done some of the absolute hardest ultra endurance races uh in the united states and before that even i mean he would take on stage races all over the world including marathon de saab uh the Gobi march which we'll talk about in a couple seconds um but last year or the last two years in 2018 he did the triple crown of 200s along with the hurt 100 And then 2019, he decided he was going to sign up for Leadman, which is every event in Leadville, Colorado, Uh, and at the same time during the same summer, basically do the Grand Slam of Ultras. So that's four 100 mile races, and we'll get into that in this episode. And obviously, like I'm just excited to uh, pick Dion's brain and kind of you know become inspired by just sitting down and talking to this guy who's done these incredible things. Um, On top of all of that, he's the author of a book called Finding Gobi. And it's this really cool story about his time doing the Gobi March, which is a week-long stage race through the Gobi Desert in China. Uh, And during this race, this dog started running with him, the stray dog. And they ended up running together for 80 miles. And he ended up uh adopting the dog and and just there's a big long incredible story uh i really uh implore you guys to go and look up many many interviews that have been uh uh that dion has done about finding goby um there, there's all sorts of them i mean he's been interviewed by like major major news outlets uh and his book is a New York Times bestseller. So obviously that story has been told. I think intentionally we both uh, wanted to do this show um, and kind of focus on uh, Dion's journey and his growth as an athlete. Uh, and so that's kind of what we do. And especially focused on, like I said, his last couple of years um, where he's just just taking him on, man. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, so we're going to get into that in a second. But... I do want to acknowledge, I mean, this is the 200th episode of the podcast and uh, I, I'm laughing about it now because I didn't even make the connection, but I'm like, whoa, Dion's done a whole bunch of 200s, you know, I guess that fits the theme, um, but it is the 200th episode of the show and I, I just want to, I've been trying to do it all week on our Facebook account, um, but I just want to give thanks to everyone who's made this show happen. Uh it's not just a one-person production um i've had a lot of support um and a lot of people telling me to keep going like i've had moments of self-doubt for sure Uh, in fact this whole project really has been uh, really cool because it's taught me to uh, how to overcome self-doubt and a lot of that is just by enduring (laughs) ironically enough um but I have I wanted to thank a, a bunch of people. Um, my wife, obviously, you know, she corrals three kids while I sit down here for an hour or so every week and, and chat with the adventurers and endurance athletes. Um, so she's incredible and she's been so supportive and she's always like, go for it. Because I'm always like, you know. Do do we have time on on Tuesday uh, afternoon, you know, for me to talk to somebody? And she's like, yeah, I got him. Go for it. And she's just 100% the most supportive person in the world. Um, You know, obviously, I'm so grateful for the conversations I've had with the guests. Uh, Anyone who's come on the show, uh, if in the past, if you're listening right now, I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Like you have inspired me and hopefully many others, uh, to go out and, and really experience life to the fullest. And there's for that, I'm like, just unbelievably grateful for it. My mindset has totally shifted, uh, based on these conversations, these deep dives that I'm, I've been fortunate enough to be able to do, Uh, with all sorts of just incredible human beings which is really cool um and you know i want to thank you guys for for listening and supporting the anyone who's supported the show like thank you i appreciate it even if this is your first episode or if it's your 200th i just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart like it's been really cool um it's funny recording this at times i forget that anyone's going to listen. Like, I just assume my buddy Brady is going to listen. And my mom, those are the two I'm like, they're going to listen for sure. (laughs) Um, but, uh, it's been cool. It's been cool to get messages from people and, uh, support and all that. Like I, I do this simply, I mean at the most simple reason is because it's interesting to me and I'm passionate about it. Um, But I also do this because I want to spread goodness out there in the world and on the internet and all that stuff because there's a lot of people uh, who kind of go the other route, which is weird to me because I'm like, why wouldn't you just want to spread goodness that like, isn't that why we're here? Um, So, so thank you guys. Um, At the end of this episode, this is already going to be ultra long uh, because this intro is going long. Uh, But at the end of the episode, so I wanted to, I did want to acknowledge the fact that this is the 200th episode, um, but I also wanted to have an interview with just a complete badass. Uh, So we have Dion on, we talk, we share his story for about the first hour of the show. Um, And then after that, I felt, I felt that it would be. It would be wrong not to have my friend Brady Manriquez on the show. Brady was the first guest uh, that we ever had on. um, And he's been on quite the journey of his own. And he's one of the people that has been so incredibly supportive. Uh, So I have him back on at the very end. Uh, for the outro just to kind of chat about the podcast and um we were supposed to do a race on saturday the boonville backroads ultra in iowa and that got canceled that was going to be brady's first ultra um and so we kind of chat about like what we're going to do instead um but yeah we just kind of kind of catch up i thought i'd put that on at the end if you're interested and yeah so it's kind of a cool episode i'm excited there's a uh, there's definitely a. Uh, a lot of content on this one. So, so buckle up. I hope you guys are doing this on like a long run or a long bike ride or something like that. Um, but let's just dive right in. Um, this is the Like a Bigfoot podcast number 200 with the incredible Dion Leonard. All right, guys, today I'm going to uh, talk with Dion Leonard. Dion is an amazing ultra runner, uh, author. Uh, he wrote the book Finding Gobi. Um, and he's also just ran, like I looked at your ultra sign up, man. And first of all, ni- or <laughs> 2018, you ran the Triple Crown of 200s. And then 2019, somehow you like up the ante from that, which is insane to me.
1: So welcome to the show, man. (laughs) And uh, thanks for having me on the show. And and now I guess 2020, it's one big sort of uh, chill out and relax and let the body recover moment. It's
0: either that or the create your own adventure moment.
1: Yeah, I've seen lots of that. And uh, I haven't done any of the sort of backyard ultras yet and any of the crazy running a marathon uh, on my veranda. But um, yeah, it's... uh, I'm uh, pretty blessed with being in Chattanooga in Tennessee at the moment, and we've got some cool trails to get out here on, and I'm enjoying that.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I I mean, there's so much to get into, and I think I just mentioned to you before we started, like, there's a bunch of races I just want to hear about, um, but I kind of want to just start by talking about this. Um you know, obviously, like you've had this incredible journey through ultra running um, and you've done stage races and 200 milers and 100 milers and all this. Um, how is your thoughts on just endurance in general? How has that kind of evolved uh, through your experience?
1: Uh, that's a good question. I think, you know, when I look back now and I think about the struggle that I had to actually get into running was one of someone who drunk a lot. Who smoked a pack of cigarettes a day? Who was two hundred and fifty pounds? And my first, um, my first sort of venture into running was absolutely hating it and really wanting to do it to lose weight, but also really struggling with the fact that I was so heavy and um, you know so bad at it. I guess to now. Having achieved quite a lot in running, it's, uh, it is it is quite a long way, but there's still so much more out there that I want to achieve as well. And I think that's what drives me now instead of the initial wanting to lose weight and uh, to get fitter and healthier, which was the real start of my running.
0: Yeah, so let me just ask this. When you first start, how do you push through the hate of running?
1: Because I think a lot of
0: people can relate and I can relate. I was not a runner at all. And I definitely remember the days just forcing yourself to put on your shoes and head out the door. So how did you how you get through that?
1: Well, I had a really good uh, reason to get out and start running. And one of the reasons was I made a bet with a friend of mine. And uh, we were drunk one night at his party, his 30th birthday party. And he was telling me how he was going to run a half marathon race in Manchester in England where I was living at the time. And uh, he'd run the race the year before. And I think he'd done a one hour 50 And he wanted to beat that one hour 50 time. And uh, I had had a fair few beers and I was like thinking, you know what, I could do this. I could probably uh, run this race, no problems. And I said that to him and everyone that was around him also laughed and they said, there's no way you could do that. And uh, I just thought, you know what, I I think I can do it. I'm going to make a bet here. And I said to him, you know, let's make a bet. And uh, i tell you what, I'll also give you five minutes head start as well. And uh, as I said, <laughs> I was 250 pounds. That's a bold, uh, bold yeah. move. And you can imagine waking up the next morning hungover and my wife Lucia, who was already a runner at the time, was telling me that about this bet that I'd made and I've, of course, forgotten about. And uh, that was it. I wanted to say face. I'm a, I was a competitive uh, cricket player, golf player and hockey player where I grew up in Australia uh, as a kid. But in my teenage years and into my early 20s i got into the wrong side of things and and that took me down the wrong path and uh so i knew inside of me like i had the drive to compete and I, that was one thing the next morning when i did wake up and put the shoes on and put on some uh shorts and shirt and look terrible trying to run around a block that i knew that uh this was going to drive me on to to try and beat my friend at this half marathon race
0: well i gotta ask did you end up beating him
1: well, uh, you know, uh, it was uh, it was a warm day, and I set off, and uh, I knew that I had to put five minutes on him towards the finish line. And I think I finished around a one hour twenty eight. And I remember just looking at my watch
0: for a half marathon.
1: For a half marathon, oh my, my first God, time I'd man. ever. Run.
0: <laughs> that's that's insane. Were you just yeah. sprinting as fast as you could?
1: It was the, the it was. I was just so focused. I trained and trained and trained, and I literally remember having to train one block, two blocks three blocks before then venturing out to do mile by mile by mile and he could at the time I remember he would put up his results on uh, on Twitter I think his his watch would be synced with whatever he'd done and it would go up on Twitter and he'd say you know oh have you done any training and I'd say no I haven't done anything I, I haven't been out you know I'm still drinking and smoking and all the meantime I was actually doing double what he would do and I was setting the, <laughs> setting the bar really high to try and achieve a win and uh yeah, 1 hour 28 and I sat there looking at my watch thinking, is he going to be here in the next five minutes? And I think he did like a 1 hour 40, 1 hour 45 and, you know, he was he was stoked that he'd beaten his own time, which was great. But, of course, I was happy that I'd won the bet and the bet that we'd set was you actually had to take the other person and uh, partner out for dinner. So. Whilst I wasn't 250 pounds in size anymore. I can still eat quite a lot of food, so <laughs> I made sure I rinsed him at the restaurant, and uh, and it was a pretty expensive bill.
0: That's amazing. Did you during that training cycle? Did you have the moment of breakthrough when you started actually enjoying running, or did that happen later on?
1: Uh, no, and uh, uh, something that I talk about in my book is is my sort of uh, tough, destructive depressive childhood that i had leaving home at a very early age and uh, being out on the streets as a young 13 year old boy putting myself through school putting food on the table having to work part-time cash jobs as well to to do all of that made me realize like uh it was sort of giving me that drive and that ambition to want to actually make something of myself but also prove people wrong So, when I was running and training for that half marathon race, you know, I had this sort of thought of all of those people that were at that party that night that were laughing at me, saying, There's no way you can do this. You're just a big fat guy now, you know. Those days of you being a sportsman when you were younger, they're long gone. And then also on the flip side, I had all of those memories of this horrible childhood and depressive thoughts and people that had said things to me or done wrong by me in my head. And it was all something that I used to drive me further and further and further each day running because I realized that running became this sort of uh, way for me to deal with all of those issues and to clear out my head and to turn those negatives into positives, if you like. And many, many years later when I would even move on from the marathons into ultra marathons, I still didn't enjoy the running. I was still using it for that um, mental cleanse, if you like. And it's probably only really been the last couple of years perhaps even since the goby story that happened to me in 2016 that i've really become happy with running and happy being out there and a much more happier competitor as well so I've, I've had quite a journey and i'm my wife lucia loves running she loves being part of the community and she really epitomizes that running spirit and i'm a little bit different to her but now i'm sort of becoming a lot more like that and um i'm really happy and proud that the journey's taken me there as well to be honest
0: yeah i mean i think for me i feel like i'm more on uh lucia's side there you know like i love like it's just the pure joy of it um and you know it's nice to hear that you are kind of coming towards that towards that side but like how what do you credit towards that do you give her credit towards bringing you there or was it just the you know the running experiences you had along the way
1: well, Lucia's definitely been a big part of my life and also the running life as well. And the reason we actually got into ultra running and Lucia had already been running marathons while I was running that first half marathon, but uh, I bought her a book for her birthday and her birthday's the 23rd of December. So of course, you know, it's a, it's a birthday and a Christmas present as well. It makes sense, you know, to try and get out of buying her two presents. So I bought her this really nice coffee table book uh, that was the world's toughest endurance challenges. And I said to her as part of the birthday slash Christmas present, I said, whatever page you open up to is the event that we'll go and do together. Now this has got the toughest foot races on earth, the toughest mountain biking races on earth, you know, the the world's toughest Ironman challenges on earth are in there, crazy, crazy challenges. And it's a pretty frightening book when you look through it. And, uh, of course, I'd had a couple of drinks when I said this to her as well. It was uh, during the middle of the evening, and she opened up to a page, and the race that she opened up to was called the Kalahari Extreme 250-kilometer race in South Africa, and a uh, multi-stage race, six-day, seven-day race across the Kalahari Desert, and uh, she said to me, this is the race that we're going to do. And uh, I remember getting up the next morning and saying to her, "Oh, that was uh, that was all fun and games about that race, but there's no way we're going to go out to South Africa to run a stage race across the desert. We have no idea what we're doing." And she said to me, "It's too late. I've been up early this morning and I've already registered us two spots onto the race." <laughs> so again, you know, we had a, we had months, a couple of five or six months if I remember, to train for that race. And uh, I remember sort of again thinking to myself, I wanted to go to this race and try and achieve a great result. And uh, I pushed myself to train and she would be there as well and she was also wanting to do well. And we sort of drove each other and we'd go out training and uh, and knowing that we were putting ourselves up for this big challenge really made you get out of bed each day to, to know that this was going to be a huge, uh, huge moment for us. And I went out to the race and uh, I remember you know a couple of times not knowing whether I was going to get through some of these stages, temperatures up to uh, 50 degrees Celsius and uh, having to carry all of your food and kit to survive the week and only being given water at certain checkpoints and the heat and the environment of being out there was completely unique to nothing that I'd ever done before. So having to get up day after day after day in a multi-stage race is really difficult and having Lucia there next to me throughout that whole week was really a positive as well. And uh, getting to the finish line and uh, finishing in sixth place was really the moment that I started to think, uh, actually, maybe I'm a bit of a runner after all. And a lot of the other runners that were around the race, some of them were professionals and semi-professional races, some of them I'd even beaten as well, said to me, you know, perhaps you should uh, start to look at ultra running a little bit more seriously. And and that's where it really started.
0: So you went from a half marathon to a stage race through the desert. That's amazing,
1: man. I I did uh, I did an ultra marathon in between. It was I think it was about thirty miles, but I stopped at the twenty six mile mark because I got bored. And uh, <laughs> you actually had to go past the start line to go and do another four mile loop, and I couldn't couldn't be bothered with it. And it was really bad. Um, it was it was played with me a little mentally going into the multi stage race to think I haven't even done an ultra marathon, hadn't even done a Uh, I had done a marathon actually I'd done a marathon in France called the Marathon de Medoc and it's a race where you run through the vineyards of uh, the Bordeaux region and every mile you have a glass of wine or some um, meat and cheese and uh, by the time you get to the 42 kilometer the 26 mile mark you are pretty tanked up with food and drink and so my preparation wasn't great but um I always say now, even today, you know, I'm not the quickest runner in the world, but I have a really strong determination, and I'm very good in the heat. And when the other runners who may be quicker start to falter, it's where I sort of catch up and and you know continue on.
0: Yeah, I mean, so I have to imagine in that stage race, you reach a point where it's pain beyond anything you've ever experienced before physically. Um, what was that like, and how did you? push through I mean I know the simple answer is you just put another foot in front of the other until you got to the finish line but like I just I'm just it's kind of blowing my mind like a half marathon to a stage race um, even with those others I mean, in between is just insane <laughs>
1: Yeah, and it's, uh, and I'm not going to lie, sugarcoat it, you know, it it really did suck at times out there and I think knowing that my wife Lucia was there and she was behind me was one thing because I didn't want her to beat me and, uh, you know, that would have been, um, that would have been like rights within the house forever if she'd have beaten me. So, that was sort of a moment where I thought I've got to keep going and uh, also, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I had a lot of sort of depressive negative thoughts still in my um in my basement there and i really use that to push me through and i can go now and i can run those 100 200 mile races and just switch off completely from thinking about anything and i think that's an a uh, it's a great space to be able to get your head in and uh um, especially during those long races and even what we're going through now with this pandemic you know that you've been through some tough times out there and uh, you know that you can get through it and I think that um, having that experience helps in all ways of life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask, like when you're flipping through the book, right, do you think if you would have landed on, I don't know, like a mountain biking event, we would be talking about how you're like an ultra endurance, completely badass mountain biker right now. Like, (laughs) I mean, did that random flip of the book lead you into where you're at now?
1: Absolutely did. And uh, the answer to your first question, there's no way I could be a mountain bike rider. I I absolutely love doing it. And I had my first mountain bike race last year up in Leadville, but um, I'm terrible at it. So yeah, who knows? It was obviously meant to be. And it's it's, uh, incredible to sort of think where life can take you. And and I look back at that book now, and I think there's 13 or 14 races in that element of the books, like the world's toughest ultra races, and I've achieved finishing 10 of them. Like I've completed 10 of the races now, and uh, there's there's really only Badwater 135 on there, which um, which is sort of something that I'd like to look forward in the next year or two to to achieve finishing and uh, being part of and. I'm pretty proud of that fact that I can now look back and think, wow, I've come so far from yeah. never being able to run to now having ticked off quite a lot of races. But not, I didn't ever set out there to, to do that. I, it's just life's taken me on that journey and um, I've had some wonderful experiences. And there's yeah. races on there, there's races out there that aren't even in the book now, like the uh, the Triple Crown of 200s yeah. and, uh, and, and the likes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well... Um With oh man, that's so it's just yeah, that's crazy. What is it about mountain biking that you struggle with?
1: (laughs) Well, I i did the Leadville 100 last year as part of the Leadman series, and uh,
0: so there's some mountain biking in that, in that for sure.
1: That's that's a that's a highest and hardest 100 mile (laughs) mountain bike race in the US, and and that was my first mountain bike race ever. I'd also did the Grand Slam of hundreds last year as well, so you know, I did. Western States, Leadville 100, Wasatch 100, and Old Dominion. And then, of course, the, the mountain bike series as well. I got to the Leadville 100 mountain bike race, and I was super tired from all of that <laughs> running and trying to compete. And I'd been sick from the altitude as well. I based myself up in Leadville for some time. I struggled with the with the altitude. And yeah. by the time I got to the race day of the mountain bike race, I just had no energy in my legs. I had no energy inside my body. And it was just a suffer fest. I mean, I said to my the people that my my guy Joe who comes and supports me at the races and, and crews me, I said to him, Joe, this is going to be really unique because we're going to be at the back end of the field, which, you know, I like to sort of think that I'm up there with the front sort of guys for the running side of things. And I said, let's just take a checkpoint by checkpoint. I said, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We'll just try and keep ahead of the cutoff. And I tell you, it was one of the most humbling experiences to remember just what it's like to, you know, be average at something again and uh, to be really pushing and to be really having to work just to make the cutoffs. And, you know, when it comes to the running side of things, I'm hours and hours and hours ahead of the cutoffs and I never have to think about what the runners behind me are going through. And I really just... Learned so much about having to drive and push myself in a new way, and um, seeing all of these other people coming. You know, it's an out and back course at the Leadville 100 mountain bike race, and uh, seeing all of these guys just flying past me and looking so good on their bikes, and I just was terrible. I was, I was, uh, I was close to last, and I got to the halfway point, and I was literally, I was ahead of the cutoff, but on the return leg. I was like just on the cutoff and just on the cusp of really being hours behind because the cutoffs got shorter and shorter. Yeah, and uh, I got to the last cutoff and I had just over an hour to get to the checkpoint. uh, Sorry, to the finish, which was about ten miles, and I was spent. I had nothing in my legs. I'd had some issues uh, with the altitude sickness again. And I just thought my whole achievement, uh, my whole goal for the summer was to be the first male to complete the Grand Slam and Ledman Series in one, uh, one year. I'd done everything else. All I had to do was to get through this mountain bike race and it was all coming apart. And in my head, like, I nearly, like, started to cry just to think of all of the time and effort that not only I'd put through but also people that had come and helped and paced me at all the other races. Um, it was all going to falter. And I I said to the guy at the the last checkpoint, I said, do you think I can still get there to the finish? And he says, you're really going to have to motor. You're going to have to give it everything. And I just went for it. I just thought, fuck it. I'm going to see if I can do it. And uh, I pedaled and pedaled and pedaled. And uh, I went up the boulevard when the boulevard's pretty much the last mile into the finish line. And uh, it's all all, uh, paved road but it's filled full of people. And I think probably the best thing about the mountain bike race is you're finishing three, four, five o'clock in the afternoon and the whole town's come out to witness who's going to make it towards the 12-hour cutoff. And I had people screaming and yelling and cheering and pushing me up the boulevard. And you go up this tiny hill before you're sort of, ride the the sort of three quarters of a mile left into the finish line and i I know
0: exactly what hill you're talking about by the way
1: it's bigger than you think when you're when you're going up it when you go down it, it's easy (laughs) and uh, you think oh this is fine but on the way back i mean i was struggling to even pedal myself up and i had random strangers pushing me up and yelling me insisting like i only had minutes to go and uh, I got to the finish line and I crossed the uh, finish line with 11 seconds to spare. I was last finisher for the gun to go off. And I was, uh, by the but chip time, I was sixth last. And I was in tears and I was so pumped when I crossed the finish line. It was the best race finish ever. Because all day, I never knew I was going to finish. Yeah. like. Course I'd set out to go and to try and achieve it I was working hard and I had all the mental tenacity to do it but I just couldn't deliver and uh, to know that I'd got there was just unbelievable wow it was that's... my my most amazing race finish ever and I've you know I've won ultra races and yeah. nothing compares with being up against it all day Overachieving something that you just didn't think you could do
0: but not only up against it all day but this is like the culmination of an entire year's worth of work probably
1: yeah lots of money time effort other people had come from all throughout the u.s to come and help me be at all the other races and pace and crew me and uh i just thought i was gonna let down everyone who was part of this journey and uh I could not wait to get off that damn bike, though. I was like, <laughs> so, I swore I was never, ever, ever going to uh, ride another mountain bike race, and uh, lo and behold, I entered the the Leadville mountain bike race for for 2020. So <laughs> <laughs> couldn't help myself.
0: You got to beat you got to beat that almost 11 second time, though, right?
1: Exactly. I mean, <laughs> I, I've got a fair fair amount of time to deal with now, so um, I'm hoping you... that
0: like was it the tech the technical was the course technical is that why it took so long or was it just complete exhaustion at that point
1: uh, i think it was a culmination of exhaustion and uh from all the other races and the sickness yeah. from the altitude mainly yeah. but um my longest ride beforehand was 50 miles and and uh I have a home in chamonix in france and uh i'd ridden on the on the road there for 50 miles one day and then uh, my wife picked me up and that was all i'd really done so i hadn't done a lot of the mountain biking prep that i probably should have because i'd been so focused on trying to run all of the other 100 mile races as part of the grand slam and my goal was to make sure i silver buckled at those four races as well and tried to compete at the best that i could as well so the biking was sort of put on the back burner i i guess lazily i probably thought i could do it um, i'd have the sort of uh, strength and physical capability from the running already but uh i realized pretty quickly on that ride that i was i was really um undercooked with it all
0: is that is that the highest elevation of all the Leadman series or is the run does the run get higher up i know the run goes over i can't remember what the pass is called uh hope Pass. Hope that's, pass a, that's right yeah that's ironically named hope pass
1: <laughs> um I don't I don't know, because it's Columbine Pass for the Mountain uh, bike okay. and Hope Pass for the bike and
0: I mean, it's high anyways.
1: It's thirteen thousand, I think yeah. thirteen, fourteen thousand feet, and uh, yeah, both of them suck, to be honest. <laughs> when you when you first go up Hope Pass during the run, you think, this is amazing, this is fantastic. You look out at the view and there's an awesome checkpoint at the top where they have some llamas and uh, it's a really cool environment. And uh, some packers I think that take some packers up and uh it's really cool. Lovely people set it up and then you run down into Winfield and then it's the return leg back up Hope Pass that you just you're dying, you just wish you were in another place altogether and uh you know you've still got over fifty miles to go. So Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's
1: that's a unique experience as well.
0: What uh you finish with eleven seconds to spare what do you do right after? Like, what's the next, like, what's the celebration look like for you?
1: Well, Ken and Marilice, who are the founders of that uh, awesome Leadville Race Series, they are there at the finish line to hug and to greet everyone. And Ken actually shoots off the the gun at the 12-hour mark. So I was the last official finisher before the 12-hour mark. So there's a big sort of ceremony afterwards where he hugs and congratulates you and gives you the the shell casing from the bullet that he's just set off as well. So, uh, you know, I've got got that sort of memory of them around me and everyone coming around me and uh, just people still cheering and clapping for me and uh, the bikes on the ground. And uh, my friend uh, Philip was there and he gave me a cold beer. And, uh, you know, I'm just in tears of joy. And uh, it was – I just – I was just so overwhelmed with the – people of Leadville and the people that were out there supporting everyone else who'd come and uh who were cheering on everyone out there it was just it's just an awesome vibe it's a it's it's such a great race experience and you know I've been at races like UTMB and other big series like Marathon to Saab and I've seen some pretty cool stuff but that was pretty amazing
0: yeah I mean that whole town gets involved with that
1: yeah and uh I'd paced Lucia and crewed Lucia the year before and uh, she'd run the 100 mile race and it was a cold, wet, horrible weekend of running and it was windy and I swore to myself I was never ever going to go back to Leadville. I really didn't think (laughs) very much of the place and I'd entered uh, Western States and my goal was to sort of get into Western States and see if um, I could do the Grand Slam but As I was watching the Western States 100 draw, I was probably, they'd gotten through like 300 odd runners and I think they select about 320, 330, let's say. And uh, whatever amount, that they were really close to getting to the finish of the draw and I thought there's no way that they're going to draw my name. So what I did was I thought, you know what, I'm going to go back to Leadville, I'm going to do this Leadman series and see because whilst I was out there last year crewing Lucia, uh, I noticed people saying to the people who had the Ledman bibs on, you know, they were giving them so much encouragement and uh, cheering them on, and just saying how tough it was to finish the Ledman. And I sat back and I thought, I just finished the triple crown of two hundreds. What yeah. am I going to do? That's going to be epic and uh, cool achievement. So I thought, I'm going to do Ledman. And uh, I just thought, okay. I better sign up for it now because if people don't get into Western States, I didn't want them all jumping on to think oh, I'm going to do Leadman as well. So I got online, I put my details in, and the moment I paid my money, I am <laughs> got my other laptop listening to it and my name gets drawn for Western States as well. <laughs> so it was at that moment I was just like, oh, no, what am I going to do now? Like I'm going to have to do both series. So I, I then started to get into uh old dominion and morsach to, to complete the grand slam and also the Leadman series so it came about by complete accident and then i had the job of telling my wife what i'd done because she was away doing a race in sri lanka and i had to tell her look i've just spent all this money on these race series and i'm going to the u.s for the summer again
0: how do you break, <laughs> how do you break that news
1: <laughs> Well, actually, when she finishes the race, she's actually in a really good, happy place. You're like, it's this the best is the time. time. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. So, well, yeah, there's something like, I mean, Leadville, if you catch it with great weather in the summer, and oh, Mount Massive, Mount Albert are there, like, overlooking the town. And, and my
1: summer was awesome so because good. the weather was great. Yeah. You know? Besides the altitude sickness, the people, the town, the atmosphere – the weather, oh, it was fantastic. It was really cool. And then having the, you know, great opportunity to go and do Western States and Old Dominion and Wasatch took me into other beautiful states as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, when, when, like I, I think you might have mentioned it. So apologies if I missed it. But were you staying in Leadville at the time? Because I know a lot of the Leadman uh, athletes decide to just move out there for because you know you're back in town, you know, periodically throughout the summer.
1: Well, I had the um, – I was kind of really busy. I had a, a book – my book launched in a couple of overseas markets as well and it launched in China, so I had to fly to China. I had to fly back to France because my wife was doing uh, a UTMB, so I had to go back and support her with wow. that. I couldn't miss that otherwise I would have been divorced. <laughs> and then I had to fly to um, – to to start western states outside of tahoe city and uh to wasatch and and do that at salt lake so i kind of kept moving throughout the whole series to be honest and yeah i i just did not get over the every time i got back to Leadville, i struggled with that um that damn altitude and so, I'm maybe I should have stayed for the. I don't know. It just, I don't know. I don't so. know if
0: people actually <laughs> adapt or if it's just you're just like, this is how it is. I don't know what to like. Yeah. Anytime you get above 11,000, 12,000 feet, you're going to feel it. I don't know.
1: It was, uh, oh my goodness. I just, I was so glad to leave Leadville in the end because of the altitude. <laughs> nothing else, just the altitude. Yeah. And um, it was, it was just so debilitating. And for the actual, uh, 100 mile run i struggled throughout that and uh, it just became every single race was a real suffer fest for me at that series and i don't know what it was but yeah yeah how it did take-
0: so when you're going actually like let's take a step back for a second so you do the triple crown of 200s um yep. after and just based on your ultra sign up before that it looked like you just you did a lot of uh various stage races around the world um, what made you want to come out and do Candice's uh, 200 milers?
1: That's a good question. I I had done a lot of the the sort of 250 kilometer six stage seven day multi stage races around the world, and I wasn't sure what was next. I had run a hundred mile race in China um, called the Mount Gaoligong, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to do another hundred mile race or not, and. I wanted something epic and I wanted something different and I wanted to be really challenged and I, I'd already, I knew I could do a hundred miles because I'd finished it, but I wanted just an experience and adventure and a journey. And when I looked at the triple crown of two hundreds, it, it just had three epic races, yeah. you know, cascade mountains around Lake Tahoe and then through Moab. And I'd never been to any of those places before. And I just thought, this is this is what I need to sort of push myself to the limits and to see whether I can achieve something and be scared by something again. And I wanted that to really drive me on. I think I was getting really tired with running again and really, um, you know, I'd been competing in the stage races, but I was it was it was it wasn't fun again. So I wanted to go out and and push myself to the limits. And the 200s is something that definitely do that
0: yeah so you when you went out and did bigfoots first correct that's right that one looks like a beast just like (laughs) the uh, amount of elevation gain you have to take on it's
1: the it's the hardest of the 200s yeah and it's the heart of course it's the first race so it's the toughest race but it's the most beautiful it's the most back to earth um, back to nature you're down you're out there there's no one else out there Um, besides your fellow competitors. And I can tell you, like, by the end of the first couple of hours, you're pretty much split up from everyone as well. And it's just stunning scenery. I could not have thought of a better race to go out there and to want to go and achieve a finish line at. After I'd been through the ups and downs of uh, being out there for, like, 70 hours, I was just overwhelmed with just how amazing it had been. The whole journey and I had no crew I had no paces and uh, no one there to support me except the aid station people and uh, I really threw myself into it and and everything was you know I got really bad blisters and uh, I struggled throughout the back hundred miles and it got really cold and I was scared of I'm scared of heights so I struggled with some aspects of the course yet at each of those points you know I just knew I had to keep going to to keep moving forward and I was raising money for animals in need as well, so I had a, thousands of people around the world that donated a, a huge amount of money. So I knew I couldn't let people down, and I had to get to the finish line because I had Tahoe and Moab to do as well. So um, it's a cool, it's a cool race, though. Bigfoot's the best out of the three of them.
0: Yeah. How do you handle that? Uh, that fear. Well, a couple, a couple different aspects of it. How do you handle the fear of heading out in the middle of you know the the wilderness in washington which me and my wife did a road trip up there i was telling my dad this last week it looked like if you walked into the woods like 50 yards you would turn around and be like where in the world is the road <laughs> like it's just so thick like the trees in the forest <laughs> so like the fear of just like I mean, you're putting yourself, you're putting yourself out there and not only that, but like the Sahara desert, the Gobi desert, like any of these places are legitimately out in the middle of nowhere. Like, how do you handle that kind of like external anxiety of what if the, what ifs, right? Like what if I got lost? (laughs) What if I walked the wrong direction? What if a bear came out like all that? stuff. Well,
1: There was only two. What ifs really was, well, probably three. What if I cross a bear? What if I cross a mountain line, and what if I fall down a mountain and kill myself? Yeah. And they're the three sort of worries for me. Uh, having grown up in Australia, I'm not scared of too much because we have killer snakes and killer animals everywhere. You
0: have the you know, craziest, like, <laughs> venomous and poisonous things in the world.
1: Yeah, the people are great, but the animals are going to kill you, you know. So. <laughs> but we don't have bears and we don't have mountain lions. So that was I was more nervous about that than anything. And then there was a couple of sections where I thought it was quite steep and quite high, but it was nighttime. And I didn't really know how far the drop-offs were, so I crossed some pretty tricky sort of terrain. And in my head, I was pretty scared and pretty worried. But I had to just think, if I stop now, those other two races are out the window. The money that I was raising was huge. It was a very important cause to me. And that was having that why was the moment to go, you've just got to man up and get across and do it. And but being out, like you said, in the wilderness and the trees and the foliage is so thick and so dense, you're pushing your way through at some points of it, thinking, have I gone the wrong way? You know, where is this track taking us? Am I gonna cross a bear? And then the other thing I'm thinking of. If I ever find that Candace Burt, <laughs> she's going to pay for this because <laughs> you know she's just she's probably marked the course and she's had a great time and uh, she thinks this is fantastic, but when you're out there struggling through it, you're like, oh my goodness, you know it's just sadistic. But when you finish and you you go through like the blast zone at the start and or all around Ma- Mount St Helens, and then you're through the deep forest and the thickness, and then you come into the finish line and you see Candice there to give you a medal, you're just in tears of joy because it's been possibly the best 70, it took me 70 hours, I think, the best 70 hours of your life. And being out there alone is, I think if you're going to do a 200, you should do one of them on your own as well to really find out something. You always find out something about yourself, something you can do better, something you can improve on something you didn't know you had inside you that is just something that is incredible and it gives you that positive mental strength to take forward in uh in the world you know every day
0: yeah so how do you how do you handle the other fear of of possible failure you know like possibly not meeting your goal how how and not only in that race but like just in general how have you handled that
1: uh well you know i've had uh i've had like pretty much everyone DNFs at some point and uh, the majority of them have really been through an injury or something's happened that's been not an excuse to pull out of but i've i have pulled out of races for reasons and i think it's probably not being in the right frame of mind to be at a race and it's probably making the decision beforehand instead of halfway through the race to say i shouldn't be here and i think I probably do that better now. I put myself into a position of knowing these are the races I want to do. These are the races I want to commit to. I'm not doing the races because of sponsors' needs or other reasons that I don't really want to be there for. And separating that is uh, is a really big deal and making sure – Every moment that you're out there, every step forward, we've probably only got a certain amount of steps in our lives, and every step forward you want to be taking is the step forward that um, means something to you. You know, I can see us all getting back out there again after, you know, this and going back to races now and probably really appreciating races more for what they're intended to be in the first place. So, ultra running is probably being out there, being together, enjoying a moment. Instead of just I've got to do all of these races to tick off certain things on a list.
0: Yeah, I've heard, that's kind of like a common theme from people I've talked to is when you're doing something that you're passionate about that is really exciting to you. That's that makes all of the difference in the world, and that's why I mean I try to tell people this, and they think they think I'm crazy. But the six mile run down the path from my house sometimes is a billion times harder than any race I've ever signed up for. Just because I'm like, it's the thing that I'm doing that I, you know, am doing for training. But it's kind of like, oh, man, I'm doing this again. And like <laughs> that's harder to get up for. And I've felt like quitting a six mile run way more times than I've felt like quitting, you know, like an ultra marathon or something.
1: Yeah, and I'm hearing you because I used to have a loop in Edinburgh when I was living there and uh, it would be a seven-mile loop and I would traditionally go out there throughout work. Uh, maybe during the day I'd have time to be able to get out and to do it. And and during the run, though, the problem would be is I would just be thinking about work and all the things that I had to do. Yeah. Yet I'd get, and I'd get back and I'd get back to my desk and I'd start working again and it would only be then that I'd feel like, oh, thank goodness I went for that run because it gave <laughs> me clarity, it gave me – um the positiveness to keep going for the rest of the day and i think separating that can be difficult and if you're being invited to races or if you're being uh, paid to go and do things that you don't really want to do i guess it's a little bit like that in life in general you've got to just say no sometimes and and make the right choices and i think i've done that better over the last couple of years yeah i'm doing races now that um i want to be at and i want to be involved with not i should be seen there because it's a great race for my resume
0: yeah and i would like suggest anybody to do that follow their passion whatever that may be because i'm seeing some of the stuff now and i'm like wow that seems very difficult and something like when you're seeing people run like a one mile loop repeatedly <laughs> for me personally that doesn't inspire me i understand that people out there are totally into that and that's so cool but i'm like i could go out and try to run a one mile loop a billion times but it's it's just I, that's something i guarantee you i would after a couple of times i was just be like all right
1: yeah it's not for me either and uh, i i can understand why people have gone out and achieve those things and some of them just been absolutely ridiculously outrageous um
0: have you been but, following uh michael ortiz
1: no i haven't no he's
0: been doing he's trying to do like 100 100 milers in a 100 weeks or something oh wow which but and then now he's stuck in his apartment in new york and he's just running on a treadmill but he's <laughs> but he's finding ways to keep it interesting it's pretty yeah. it's pretty fascinating but i'm like dude i would I would quit so after like. He's 10 seen minutes.
1: everything on Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime now. Oh hasn't yeah, he?
0: <laughs> he knows everything about every TV show ever. <laughs> um, I want to ask real quick, uh, Moab 240. So you said Bigfoot's the hardest, which is something I've heard from many people, including Candice, I think possibly. Um, but you hear just the distances, and you would assume Moab 240 that adds 40 more miles, that adds a whole nother ultra marathon on top of it. Like what makes what makes that one unique uh, compared to the other ones?
1: Well, Moab was actually one that I really fancied um, from a, my own competitive point of view. I, I grew up in a very hot country town in central Australia. And um, so from a young age, I've always been great in the heat, like used to the heat, adapted to it. So that's why I went into the desert races to begin with. So I really could not wait to get to Moab. The problem is you've already done Tahoe 200, yeah. Bigfoot 200. I had blister issues and uh, I was tired and uh, pushed to the limits at those other two races. But getting to Moab and just seeing the, just seeing the canyonlands and the national parks and just seeing Mind the, blowing. it's unbelievable and. It's a really quick course to begin with, especially It's not until you get up into the mountains, the La Salle, that things start to change. And that's really the last sort of 50 miles, if I remember correctly. I think um, there is just so much beauty and it changes so dramatically throughout that, again, that it just keeps you inspired and it keeps you moving. And uh, what I really like about Moab is just the fact that I was I had crew and paces for the first time at the race as well. So for me, you know, we were we were well up the front with the with the leaders, and we were pushing hard, and we were working hard together. And and I was really enjoying being around, um, you know, some of my friends that had come out to run with me as well. And it's it's a great course. I mean, it's a, it's an awesome series. And coming into the finish line of that race, just knowing that I'd finished, and uh, not only Moab but the Triple Crown in been competing to uh try and win the triple crown overall was was pretty cool
0: yeah yeah well so then the next year you're like how okay i guess i should ask about recovery how much did you learn about recovery just doing the triple crown because obviously you had to apply that in 2019.
1: yeah it's a it's a really good point and i think i if i look back at the three results it was 19th at bigfoot so first 200 19th place 70 odd hours and then I went to Tahoe and finished ninth. Moab, I ended up crashing towards the back and finished seventh, crashing towards the back end of the race and, and uh, dropping out from being further up the field. Yeah. But my time was getting better each time because I knew I'd improved on the sleep deprivation. I'd yeah. improved on the amount of time I needed to spend in checkpoints. I knew how to keep moving and moving and uh, – I just got better and better and better and learned so much about myself as well. And I knew that I could finish as uh, a 200-mile race was a big thing in your mind mentally. Then it's like, okay, well, I can go and do 240 now. I know I can get through 200 miles. So getting into 2019, I already had that experience to take forward. And I went out to Australia to do the Delirious West 200, which was the inaugural race, and uh, which Candice was at as well. And I wanted to go out there and ensure that my time was better again and i wanted to do um you know i wanted to get there and run 200 miles under 60 hours and do no sleep and uh and be at the front of the race and using all of those three races that i had before i had of course lots of um i'd learned lots of things that i could take forward for that race
0: yeah and how much of that race was it like oh i get a race candace now so i gotta (laughs) i gotta turn on the jets
1: well, Candice and I had been doing some TV and interview uh, for the news and the press beforehand for the race organizers, and uh, we both are competitive people, and we, we, we're friends, and uh, we were both talking about what our strategies were for time, and we both wanted to, to sort of get under that 60-hour mark, and we both thought that was possible. Unfortunately, Candice and I and a bunch of other runners went the wrong way to begin with, so we went 5 or 6 miles to the left when we should have went right at the start and it's uh,
0: always at the start every time <laughs> it's always at the start
1: yeah so you know that put on time that that sort of put on that took effort out as well and so Candace and myself uh, another guy who uh, uh, kai brett who would finish the race second overall he he's the ultra runner of the year for australia he's a, he's a really cool guy up and coming runner him and a lot of other runners uh, had a lot of work to do to get back up through the field, and um, it took away a little bit of the effort. But, you know, I knew Candice was going to be there, and I knew that she'd um, she'd want to be up the front as well. So I think she struggled a little bit in the heat, and um, I didn't see her for, uh, for the rest of the race after the first sort of day, but we'd ran some of that stage together and uh you know to see her come in third place was was just awesome and she was first female which is which was incredible
0: yeah and i just think like for her to go out and do a 200 mile race and just be like yeah i can do this too guys like i just thought that was so cool like such a cool aspect yeah, and
1: race. you know she crushed it and she had a difficult uh, period before the race as well her, her gear and things didn't arrive and she was uh she just went with the flow and she just went out there and to have an adventure and she loved it and there was there was quite a lot of people from North America and Europe that hadn't been to Australia before so it was that's when you've just got to roll it back and say it's an adventure it's a journey yeah I'm going to run it as best as I can but at the end of the day the result doesn't really matter
0: yeah did you have an advantage being from Australia where what we talked about earlier it's like yeah we have the seven most venomous (laughs) snakes but you're like whatever I'm used to them
1: there was a lot of discussion in the pre-race group about the snakes and how bad they can be. In fact, when they were marking the course or if people had been out on the course months beforehand, they would count between a 10-mile section of the course, maybe 20 or 30 snakes. And these are snakes like type ends that will kill you. You know, you will have a limited amount of time to get the antivenom into you, otherwise yeah. you'll, you'll suffer. And uh, – I wasn't concerned at all, but people were making um, (laughs) snake gaiters and all of these like crazy bits of kit that would um, cover their heel up um, so they wouldn't get bitten by snakes. And I just thought, you know, I'd grown up with them and they don't scare me one little bit. Um, But I was, of course, still aware that there's a lot of snakes in that part of the course out there. And how
0: do uh, they not scare you? well i mean, I get guess, it like growing up like you get you get used to it i understand
1: yeah yeah i mean you know <laughs> i've seen <laughs> i guess i've seen snakes inside of our house growing up and uh around the outside of the house every day it's it's not really a, a thing that's bothered me so i just um i saw one snake one snake and that was yeah. it and uh i stopped for it and it was a it was a taipan and it crossed the path in front of me and it was the most majestic thing as i'd was just looking at it and I was hissing and it was about 5 o'clock in the afternoon. It was like it was crossing the path and going home from a day's work. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I never saw another snake for the rest of the race. And um, But I know some people were, were really worried about that aspect. But yeah. you know, we've got beautiful beach, coastline during that race. And I, looked, so I remember
0: thing. seeing some pictures from it. It looked incredible.
1: It's epic. And uh, this year I was due to go to... Uh, sean was going to hold a race in south australia this year which was going to be the inaugural uh, irrational south and unfortunately that was put back because of everything that's going on at the moment but um i know candace was going to go back and do delirious west again and i was going to go to uh, the race in south australia and he's also going to have a race next year in new south wales and that's uh, that's going to be called uh, – that's going to be his version of the Triple Crown. But, of course, because it's down under, it's going to be known as the Triple Crown Under.
0: Ah, uh, nice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it's all happening down there. And uh, I, I think I heard somewhere between Sean and, and Candace, you know, these two crazy race directors, I think they want some sort of world uh, championship of 200 miles to take place. So that will be interesting to see.
0: That's amazing. Do you just look at Copperheads now in Tennessee and you're just like – what are you guys doing?
1: To be fair, I have come across two rattlesnakes so far. Oh. And uh, I, I love, like, looking at snakes and just admiring the beauty of them. But there is something about a rattlesnake that I don't want to cross one if I'm on my mountain bike on the trails. Because I, I've i heard, like, never ever jump over a rattlesnake because they will literally jump up in the air and grab you by the crotch. Whoa. So I'm – Pretty concerned about getting one at those. Yes, yeah, Snake Bite boys. to the
0: yeah. Snake Bite to the Crotch does not that would be embarrassing. Does not sound good. Well, so just I guess really quick, we kind of touched on twenty nineteen with lead but you also took on the Grand Slam of one hundreds. What did you find uh what did you find was different or unique about all those races? Obviously Western States is its own crazy just insane thing but and then leadville you have the altitude but what about the other two i mean they don't get as much as much hype
1: no and uh that's a really good point i think everyone knows enough about western states and uh perhaps even to some degree leadville but old dominion is one of the one of the original hundred mile races as well i think it might be correct in the second or third oldest hundred mile race ever and it stems also from the history of western states that it used to be uh, a horse race trail from beforehand and then they decided to run it as well and you know being in uh, uh, Virginia and running around that state and in the Shenandoah mountains is incredible the best thing about that race is it's old school it's simple old school it's uh, you get your bib you get a, a medal you get a shirt and that's it um you know checkpoints are simple lovely people but there's no sponsors. There's nothing. It's just back to running, and yeah. it's a it's a great course and it's a quick course and um, I really enjoyed my time there and I'd recommend for people to have a look at that and it's a really it's a really fun course and I think the race is early June, so it's a it's a good one if you don't get into a race like Western as well. It's still got history, still got great uh, history and people running it, and uh, it's a good vibe. Well,
0: in the trail running community in virginia just because that's where i started uh you know going out there um it's i don't know it just feels it has a more of like a small town feel like i just remember i ran yeah. probably four different races over two years and at each one i just kept running into the same guy on the trail and we hadn't <laughs> we never saw each other in between the race but it was like by the end of the fourth one it was like oh like i feel like this guy's one of my friends you know
1: it's crazy yeah and- and uh, you know, to some respects, the Wasatch 100, which is the other race of the Grand Slam, is a bit like that as well. Yeah. It's a ballad of race. There's only uh, there's only a certain amount of runners. And I I can't remember offhand, but it's not a huge amount. And the great thing about that is, besides the initial climb up the first mountain, once you're in the the mountain range, you're really separated from everyone else that's out there. And you get up to this beautiful plateau where you're looking over Salt Lake City and you're seeing this massive sprawl of people down below you out in the distance. yet here you are up in the mountains, away from everything. And it's just the two contrasts just makes you appreciate what you're doing and why you're out there. And again, sort of old school bit um, not, you know no sponsors, not the big fanfare. there's not not loads of supporters. You know, there might be a handful of people at the finish line to clap you in, but uh, also something that's um, a massive achievement to finish that race because it's uh, it's a real tough one, that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then Western States, what was that like for you?
1: Well, Western was fun because I had a really cool group of people with me. I had an awesome runner uh, pacing me, who's uh, Ben Light, who's done a lot of the 200s, and uh, he was pacing me. I had some great crew that were there with me. And we just soaked up the whole day. And I was um, I was still sick from the altitude sickness. I'd come down and I was still sick and I struggled. I finished in, I think, 20, 22 hours. So I silver buckled, but I was hours off where I wanted to be. And at times I really struggled. But at every moment there is someone along the route there that uh, is cheering you on and clapping you on. And some people had come um, from other states to see me and to to say hello and to, to get a photo with me because of my book and yeah. uh, just things like that just inspired me to, you know, you can't give up when people come and, and drive so far to see you. So I had someone actually tell me before the race as well, a good friend of mine said to me, look, you might be sick, you might be struggling, you might have a terrible day out there, but think about all the people that have tried to get into this race that would love to be in your shoes today that aren't. Just go out there and remember that, and I uh, it really stuck with me throughout the day that I was pretty lucky to be going in a running a race with uh, with such prestige and history.
0: Yeah, for sure. I know. I heard. I mean, I just everything you see on it and all the videos and the pictures that you see, it just looks like something that's that's really unique to the United States. But it's also like it does seem like it does have like a community feel still. I mean, ultra running in the U.S. seems very much like, you know, just this this small community. Um, But that one also has that extra step of of just the excitement and craziness and and people like it's it's a meaningful race like to ultra running in general.
1: Oh, absolutely! But uh, I think you're right. Then what you're saying is the fact that they still get the balance right. Yeah. Um, you know, they they still have yeah they have sponsors and they have brands there, and uh, you know there's a big setup beforehand, but race day it still comes down to great people, a great event, um, great scenery, and it's um, yeah it really isn't the big beast or the big corporate beast that um, that you could perhaps perceive it as.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're about an hour in. So to wrap up, I want to ask you about go be your dog because <laughs> I was like, Hey, his dog has his own Wikipedia page. <laughs> yeah. So, she- I mean, your story is amazing. I have yet to read the book though. That is definitely going to be on my Amazon order as soon as I'm done talking to you. Cause I'm really interested in it, but can you like, just kind of tell us the brief story of it, and then um, like how this has kind of affected your life.
1: Yeah, Gobi's had a Wikipedia page for years, and uh, <laughs> it's just it's just crazy. Like you know, when your dog is more famous than you, and you know, and she deserves it because she's a cute dog, and you know, I wouldn't she's have super it any cute. other way.
0: We I just yeah. saw her right before we started the podcast.
1: Yeah, she's um, she's just just she's just the best, you know, and it was. An amazing, true story, an incredible journey that happened to me back in 2016. I was going out to run a 250-kilometer six-day, seven-day race across the Gobi Desert in China. And uh, I was going out there to try and win the race. I was um, coming back from injury, and I wanted to really get out there and to get back onto the running scene in a big way. And this race was really important to me. And on day two of the race, this little stray dog starts to run with me, and i uh, she came out of nowhere. she had uh, you know she was in bad skinny shape and she was smelly and she had bad skin and yet she took a shining to me. And she would run four stages of the race and 80 miles out of the 155 mile distance. She would uh, become this bond and connection to me that would prove unbreakable. And on day three of the race I would forego going on to win part of the stage of the race because i would go back to carry this stray dog across this large river crossing and it would be the moment little did i know that would change both of our lives forever i would uh pick the stray dog up put her in my arms and uh, she's a little chihuahua shih tzu mix but she can run like the wind and uh no matter what we went through she wanted to be next to me and the moment i picked her up and put her in my eyes i just saw this love and uh this bond just formed and I saw myself a little bit as a young boy being out on the streets with nothing I saw this dog that had nothing and I wanted to make sure I gave this dog a better life than what I had when I grew up so I made her a promise that I was going to bring her home after the race to Edinburgh in Scotland where I was living at the time and give her a better life and uh, after the race I flew back to Edinburgh but before I could bring her home she went missing in China. And uh, the story starts from there. I fly back to China to, to find her, and uh, the story went all around the world. It's now uh, published in 21 languages. It's a New York Times bestseller, and uh, we have a movie deal with Disney at the moment. So it's uh, it's an incredible story, and it um, really just came about through one act of kindness of me helping Gobi. But um, who would ever have known that I would go out to this race and become a published author and yeah. – Gobi's met the royal family, we've met the president of Slovenia, we've been uh around the world and uh you know, we've had uh we've had an amazing journey since.
0: Well now I feel honored to have met Gobi over Skype.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean everyone everyone comes up to Gobi. If we're walking down the street, everyone comes up to Gobi and everyone knows Gobi but they don't know who I am, so it's it's the perfect balance, to be honest.
0: They're like, hey, it's Gobi and Gobi's owner. Go- exactly, Gobi's <laughs> dad.
1: You know, I'm just grateful that Gobi can't talk because if she could, there'd be no need for me in the story. So, <laughs>
0: um, Well, oh man, that's it's just such a crazy story. So for somebody who is obviously very competitive, I mean, this whole conversation, even your first half marathon, it was obvious. I mean, you got to be competitive to put a hour twenty eight time on your first half um but you go into the race and you're competing and then you meet this dog and does it i I feel like she taught you a lesson of maybe letting go of some of that competitiveness um and I don't know if that's just me kind of like seeing viewing the story as an outsider or what
1: no As I mentioned earlier as well, I said, you know, uh, I'd spoken about how I really struggled to enjoy running. I found it like I was using those negative things that had happened to put them in a positive. That was a real driving force. I was running like angrily at races, angry in my own head about all of these things, but it was pushing me on to race and compete. My story with Gobi happens, and I find myself afterwards going to a race again. And not having any of that inside my head one little bit. And so much so that I sort of struggled for my first couple of races back to sort of drive myself and sort of push myself because I was running on positiveness. I was running on love and joy and just these things that Gobi has brought to my life. And the book isn't just about a dog. It's about a man who finds himself and who's come a long way and my depressive and um, abusive Childhood into running, what running has done for me, and where it's taken me as well, and yeah, to think that Gobi and I have uh, has sort of come so far together from one little moment out in the race is just incredible.
0: Yeah, that's amazing, man. I mean, that's obviously just such a heartwarming, incredible story, and I think that says something about ultra running too, um, because you gain a respect, you know, for the people running with you or the animals running with you. You gain that respect because they're going through the tough time as well.
1: Yeah, when I'm running one of those stages and it's 25 miles and it's hot and dry and dusty and I'm sick of the food that I've been eating all week and I look down and she's running beside me with a tongue hanging out and she's so excited just to be running like she's alive and you just could not help but have a smile on your face and think this is probably going to be one of the best moments ever of just always remembering this as well, because, um, you know, it made running fun for me and yeah, I I cannot sort of ever understand why this story happened to me. And, uh, it was, it's something that I'll, I'll always treasure. That's awesome.
0: That's awesome. Well, Dion, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I, I absolutely love this conversation. Um, you're incredible obviously your experiences are just like so epic it's it's amazing so thank you for coming on
1: thank you so much for sharing uh my story with all of your listeners as well it's been really cool appreciate it
0: yeah where can people kind of like follow your future adventures i know we didn't (laughs) even get to talk about but the california untamed 330 because 200 is not enough you know whatever uh 330 now but obviously that's canceled or postponed or canceled or
1: that's postponed till next year now and I'm uh-huh. um, looking forward to being part of that. It looks like an epic route, 330 miles through the Shasta Mountains. Um, Brian Spitz, who's a race organizer looks like he's putting on a fantastic event. And yeah, why not 330 you know what's next? <laughs> I, I just want to really utilize that run through that part of that California. I think it'd just be just be unbelievable and yeah. something new so
2: yeah
1: um, I'm at Dion Leonard Ultra Runner on Facebook and then everything else is at finding goby finding goby on instagram finding goby on twitter and finding goby on facebook as well and that's also
0: Gobi, the name of the book
1: that's with. my book as well yeah so i mean uh someone has just put up a wikipedia page for me now so i've also got a wikipedia page did you which, look at goby and you're like i caught yeah, up i'm I, here I, I could, i was just like i love it i love so much just seeing goby's you know got a wikipedia page and fans and it's just so cool so that's cool
0: that's awesome well yeah dion uh i'm checking that book out as soon as we're done i'm gonna order it because um it's really just like an amazing story and you're an amazing guy so so thanks again
1: thanks i appreciate it
0: yeah Alright, guys, that wraps up this week's show. Uh huge thanks to Dion Leonard. Um, awesome guest. I was so excited um to chat with him and and hear his stories. Like the dude is just incredible. Like he's had two incredible years of ultra running. And then on top of that, his book Finding Gobi. Uh I've just started reading it, and it's really, really good. So check that out. It's I mean if you're an animal lover, I feel like you're gonna like totally relate to this book, you know. So, what do you think of the episode, Brady? Who is
3: joining us? It was great. <laughs> no, I, he hasn't. Listened I uh, yet. I haven't listened to it yet, but I'm, I I will. He's Let's he's he's sure it's great. I will. <laughs>
0: um, but yeah, man, I wanted to uh to do a little thing at the end here because this is episode number two hundred. And we started number one with Brady Manriquez and I feel like for my own personal like self-respect I need to have you back <laughs> on episode 200 <laughs> <laughs> so
3: welcome back my friend I'm glad I could be here for your own personal self respect um, <laughs> gonna be back 200 is uh, what do you think about that man what do it's, you think about 200 episodes in the book
0: yeah it's pretty crazy Um. You know, I yeah, and you always think back, like whenever it doesn't seem like just yesterday. Like everyone always says that. Or it's like it seems like just yesterday. We were talking, Brady, but I'm like, no, it seems like three and a half years ago. Um but just to like see uh how life has changed in those three and a half years for me personally is crazy, man. Like we started this off, I was living in Virginia. Um I was in My little office and I just I can specifically like imagine it in my head. I was in my office in Virginia. I had Zoe on my lap at one point, and she was probably like four or no, not even four. She was like one month old. Like I think Lindsay came Mm -hmm. in during the interview with you and handed me Zoe, and I was like, I guess I'm doing the interview with Zoe, like a a (laughs) one month
3: old baby on my lap.
0: And then I was like, I guess we're just going. Brady will be fine with it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean we (laughs) definitely.
3: I think we've had a couple appearances from babies in our episodes in the that, past.
0: That's right. And right on cue, dude, my daughter Harper is now yelling dad from upstairs. So I'll probably edit this part. Hold on, give me a second. What's up, dude? Okay. <laughs> this is great. Yeah, they're all in order. She was making sure Star Wars the Clone Wars was in order because it's not. It doesn't make any sense. I'm like, why didn't she just put these in like chronological order lucasfilm or whatever <laughs> anyways um but yeah dude it, it's it's crazy because now <laughs> now zoe's three and a half years old and she's her own little person and she with her own little interests and it's amazing man like and that's just one aspect i mean like how i've grown as an endurance athlete how i've grown as an interviewer um you know like that those are the things that. I'm just excited about and like the community that, um, you know, I've built in my own life. Like, dude, I've made really good friends directly related to me doing this podcast, which has been really cool.
3: You've met a lot of, (laughs) I love the guests that you've had on like across the board. It's been so fun to watch some of it's like hometown friends. You kind of like branch out a little bit and then you get some just serious high performers that are—it's mind-blowing you know, the roster of guests that you've had, and like their accomplishments are <laughs> uh, are wild. Yeah, man. And that's—I was—I was scrolling through the uh, Like a Bigfoot Facebook page and just like looking at the photos, and like you said, like it's that chronology. You literally watch <laughs> Harper grow up and then uh, Zoe enter the picture and now Millie and there's that chronology of that happening. You can watch you go from like right in the middle of there recently now is like a stage race of your own, which I I don't know without the podcast talking all to these wild people that have done 200 mile races and insane Arctic adventures too. I mean, were you ever going to be doing a stage race? Maybe, maybe you're, you'd hit that at some point, but like, it's been wild to watch that <laughs> and then to hear just the levels of um, endurance athletics and over a variety of locations, like I said, but like, you've really been into this kind of like, thing's Arctic, but in the mountains, in the deserts, it, uh, yeah, it's been really cool to watch the variety and the guests are great. I can very much put a time and place, Because I listen to your podcast a lot of times while I'm running. Um, And every now and then I'll go back and re-listen to a podcast. And when I do, I go, oh, yeah, I was that's funny. I was traveling for work and I was in this holiday, Inn, like not holiday, inn, but like, I was at this hotel.
0: <laughs> You're not good enough to be in the holiday Inn,
3: dude. Well, I remember I listened to the episode uh, with you and your dad talking and I just had to make up, I had to go get miles in and I didn't want to be on the treadmill and I ended up running the perimeter of like, <laughs> uh, like a Walmart and then I got high being a Best Buy and like just, just to make up whatever I could to get miles in. And I said, it's very other time and place to listen to a conversation between you and your dad. So it was, yeah, I can do that with a lot of your episodes. If I go back and go, Oh yeah, I was doing this at this time.
0: It's weird, man. Like I still recording it. I'm just like, I don't in the back of my mind. Like I know I'm putting on a show that's like supposed to entertain people and stuff and inspire them and whatnot. Um, (laughs) But I'm like, no one listens to this except my mom and Brady. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> and I know, and it's because I know, because I talk to you every once, like we'll talk about the show every once in a while, and um, and then my mom, like anytime I mention like my leg kind of hurt when I was running this week, she'll call me the day after I put it out, and she'll be like, "You need to ice it? Have you heard of ice?" <laughs> like, I don't know if you know about this. There's this thing called ice, and you should put that on your leg." And I was like, I, yeah,
3: mom, I want to make a request. I want to request uh, a Carol Ward episode in the future.
0: I've been trying to make that happen, but at the
3: same... <laughs> she's been this character in the background where we like. I know she's monitoring your health and wellness. Do <laughs> you know what I'm worried about you... with that? I'm worried <laughs> that?
0: that I'm going to come off sounding like a whiny teenager. And I'm just going to be like, mom, mom, sob. <laughs> <laughs> well but it'll happen happen. i want it to happen for sure good luck yeah i mean she's a like she's a beast in her own right Mm -hmm. she's like every day i'm like what are you doing she's like oh i'm riding my bike playing tennis and i don't know going for a walk i'm like you're doing that all in one day she's like yeah i'm like okay thanks wow yeah and i'm doing yard work i'm like all right gotcha watch out for snakes chris they're out (laughs) (laughs) but yeah no i i it's it's cool like it's cool because i i'm fans of podcasts like i love listening to podcasts and um what you just described of running and then being able to picture where you ran when you were listening to a specific conversation like i have that same thing like with other podcasts i've listened to you know so like that's i think that's really cool and um you know that i appreciate that
3: it's it's been reliable too um i mean any other like any other podcast listener i think will tell you that if (laughs) if i like a podcast and i see that it comes out saturday morning or something like that then i look forward to saturday morning when i get to listen to that and it's been consistent like every week was the goal that you set out with and I, i know tell me if there's any uh i mean i don't know if you want to like throw names under the bus but last minute dropout and now you got to scramble because like oh i thought i was gonna get a podcast done and i said i was gonna do one every week and i know (laughs) i think um i think maybe Lindsay, who is sometimes my favorite guest listen i will go back and listen to you and Lindsay talk a lot because you guys have a great rapport and she's hilarious um but uh as the backups backup backup uh, she's
0: been a great support for us too. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, dude. It's funny. Like, I mean, it's definitely happened. I don't. I don't even honestly remember specific names because, you know, I'm, dude. I'm always like, in every email I send, I'm always like, hey, man. Like, I do, I do the like Midwestern nice thing where I'm just like, mm-hmm. hey, like honestly, like truly, if you don't want to do this, just tell me. <laughs> Like, I don't care. You know? I'm not going to, like, be offended or whatever, you know. Um, but, yeah, dude, there's been some, like – and then it's cool because you're right. You know, some of the best ones, in my opinion, to come out of it have been from me being like, oh, like, I definitely need somebody. And then it's just happening, you know. And I've tried not to miss a week. Uh, I think I missed one because
3: I spilled water on my computer. Um, and, I want it the same way you get there's, you know, in an ultra event – I want to hear about where uh, you had to go to the bathroom in the woods, but that equivalent (laughs) to hosting a podcast. Oh, I know (laughs) you you have problems with this, Brady.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The bathroom in the woods thing. You're very concerned about that. So I was about to just go in and explain that to you. but um...
3: No, but the equivalent of have you had, like, any major accidents (laughs) trying to host – Uh, podcast like spilling water on a computer an entire episode has been lost to i lost half
0: an episode once with travis macy and it i was so mad because that guy is so cool and i went to his house and he was so like awesome and nice uh, and kind and and then i lost half the interview i was like no (laughs) but like whatever like people understand and you know it was you know, I, I interviewed him again, and I'm hoping to interview him pretty soon uh, for a third time. But yeah, that one it sucks though, because you're like, oh, I put this work in, and now I lost everything, and <laughs> you know, and I try not to let it yeah. like be too much of a bummer. And that's only happened in, like two times, but um, that's
3: that's pretty good, two out of two hundred. Yeah, I think it's pretty pretty good. There
0: are times where I'm interviewing someone though, and then I'm like looking at the call recorder. I'm like. I hope this is recording. Like, if this isn't recording, this is like I'm going to feel so bad right now.
3: You have a mid-interview, just like panic. That, yeah,
0: uh-oh. I'm like, oh my god, should I stop it and then like check to make sure it recorded? But anyways, yeah. But yeah, yeah dude. I mean, I, you know, this it's awesome, dude. I love doing the do. I, it's honestly just brought so much to my life. I wouldn't do it otherwise. Like you know i don't make money off it or anything like that so i wouldn't do the podcast if it was a bummer or something that was stressful or anything like that so
3: it's still Let super fun yeah uh so you had a bunch of different guests like i like i've alluded to the like bike packing um fastest known times on like uh different trails um 100 milers 200 milers like Um, run swim events there's just the variety of these things of like rowing with a team or rowing solo you've kind of been into that rowing kick a little bit um yeah and of all i don't know guinness world record of burpees (laughs) like whatever it's been a wide variety of all that stuff and all those different kinds of events like do any of them intrigue you that you want to do that you heard about through a guest the more you watch it the more you or it keeps kind of coming back in your mind that you go i'm just intrigued by it
0: uh i'm i'm i it's scary to even put this out onto a podcast i'm gonna be honest
3: because if you say it then it's real (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah there's
0: some ideas okay so there's like a couple really big events i'm knocking around in my head you don't
3: have to like commit to anything but yeah what is uh what's been something that takes around anytime
0: someone anytime someone talks about a 200 miler i'm like "Uh, i think i could do it yeah (laughs) yeah i know right (laughs) isn't that crazy (laughs) (laughs) what (laughs) but i'm like i can hike And go slow yeah. and eat food my only thing mm-hmm. is i'm not sure if i can like the sleep aspect but then i'm like well if i don't care about my time could yeah. i have enough time to sleep and actually like not get like a restful night's sleep but like get an enough sleep i don't know i don't know dude but every time i talk to somebody about it i leave with the seed that is planted mm. beginning <laughs> to grow just a little bit more <laughs> and um there's no honestly it's there's not a lot of self doubt because i think i could get it done it's more like thinking about like what are what are the people in my life going to perceive this as like are they going to understand it like i understand it like when i'm explaining like this is something i want to do can people wrap their head around it or can they can they accept that i can do this because i'm you know strong and and smart and and like and also that risk wise like if it got risky like i would just throw in the towel like i'm not going to be that stubborn or which maybe Mm -hmm. i would i don't know (laughs) i don't know so that's that's one for sure um bike packing sounds super cool uh, the Colorado trail has always interested me um, so that's
3: and I know what do, there's you, a, what do you picture for something like that what do you mean, by Bi- what is bike packing again so bike packing you mean, you
0: just- is like biking with a backpack <laughs> no but biking where you're going on a long trail and you're gonna pull over and, and be able to camp and, and lay out on the trail and sleep there and then wake up and continue biking the next day um, mm-hmm. that kind of situation. Um, that's how
3: much climbing is involved with,
0: uh, yeah. So it just
3: depends quite a on, bit.
0: on where you're bikepacking, right? Like, uh, like the Colorado trail, obviously there's going to be a lot of climbs and, and right. technical stuff and I'm not super good on the mountain bike in technical terrain. And I know a lot of it is technical. So, so that's kind of something, um, that I've been thrown around, uh, Climbing Everest? I'm just kidding. No, climbing Everest has always <laughs> fascinated me, but like I've never wanted to do it.
3: <laughs> I don't know if this is a joke. You just said 200 miles a minute ago. So I know, but climbing Everest—what is a joke?
0: <laughs> I love listening to people who climbed Everest. Like it is just a fascinating place, but that has never interested me. I mean, honestly, dude, I just mm-hmm. want to travel and I want to go and explore and and see cool places, but see them by human power i think is something that really intrigues me and inspires me um if it's during a planned event uh it's i like i do like that because there are people out there with your safety in mind um whereas whereas if you're out by yourself the safety's on you which is you know exciting and a little scary but um but it's kind of like a different feeling you know what i mean Mm -hmm. Um, but either Mm -hmm. way like i just like going to new places and exploring them and being dirty and smelling and tired (laughs) and you know what i mean and surrounded by other people who are dirty smelly and tired like i i do like going out like obviously i train a lot by myself um which is great but there is something about just suffering mutual suffering
3: with a buddy that you can't (laughs) you can't really beat you know yeah yeah i this is a random story but i have that same pull of like i want to be just work a lot and do a lot of manual labor and whether it be be via running or just spend the entire day outside being physical so i can feel that like exhaustion let me, like the next day
0: let me add this real quick last weekend Brady emailed like a college friend and was just like hey you have a farm like do you need help doing farm work like I just want to get out in and, and do something physical and he went to this guy's farm and just like built a fence anyways <laughs> it was
3: great yeah <laughs> that's what I mean that's what I'm saying uh, taking days off to go for a crazy long run like using but it was awesome Uh, to spend all one of the things I learned about farm work too is one of the things I was uh, fit to do everything throughout the day but the grip strength and the hand strength I was like oh I've clearly been working in an office for quite a while like I don't have the grip strength of a a farmer built up so eventually I had to tap out before the farmer (laughs) and just say hey I think I'm done and he's like great that's great thank you thanks for the help how uh, did that feel he
0: to be like mm-hmm. hey i gotta talk to this really tough manly dude and be like i
4: think i'm
3: good man thank yeah. you <laughs> yeah well he was he was just happy that like someone came with, he doesn't really have to people volunteer to just <laughs> come do free labor but i get, get some grass-fed steaks out of the deal so you go, man all worked out uh came with,
0: That's how we pay people in Iowa, by the way. That
3: is. That's it. Uh, You come to work on our farm, and we give you grass-fed (laughs) steaks. Hidden hidden little benefit from being out there, though, I did find a new trail, a trail system that's meant for, like, bikes. Yeah. Like, it's really designed for people to rip around on bikes, but I think I'm going to go out there and run it at some point. It looked like it was just going to be a mud run. The last time I was out there, though, I'm like, I'm gonna let it dry out. Yeah, um, yeah. That's been uh, a, a, something that has like inspired me about. Well, something that has inspired me listening to your podcast has been get outside and find a variety of different places. And I like doing the daily routine and the daily run, but I've been building more and more variety into my days, and it's definitely I can attribute a lot of that to the encouragement to go do that from your podcast. I mean, you've been preaching that for consistently. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <since> episode one, <laughs> Septem- September, September,
0: I don't know. I can't do math, man. Come on.
3: I think it, I think it's somewhere around there.
0: How dare you come on to my show and make me do <laughs> math, Brady? <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, man. I I'm mean, it, dude, yeah. that's just, it's just what makes life worth living you know go out and experience it go out and find somewhere new and it doesn't have to be all the way across the world um i did an episode that's going to come up this is a kind of a preview with Bo miles the australian dude with like he has super cool youtube stuff but he's doing a whole his whole last year was like find adventures around your home And I'm like, well, right now, that's, like, what we can do is go out and find adventures and explore, you know, your backyard. And there's so much, dude. Like, right now, you're in Iowa, and you would think there's not, like, great places to run there, you know. If you're a snob, you would think that. But if you're an Iowan, (laughs) uh, you know, like, you just – you went to some cool place along the Mississippi River, and your pictures were freaking gorgeous, man. Like, these lookouts overlooking – The biggest river in the united states i'm like there's stuff like that all over man like anywhere you go you'll be able to find these beautiful areas of solitude and like ways to get away from people but then when you're moving your body like for me it's trail like i love trail running when i'm running down the trail dude and like you're trying to like your brain's engaged because you're trying to put your feet in the right spot so you don't trip over rocks and you're like you know it, you're not just using your legs, you're using your whole entire body, like you're flexing your abs oh, yeah. and like you're twisting around the corners and stuff like that, like dude, moving my body in that way like I just feel so connected to like the moment when I'm doing that. Mm-hmm. And it's something that mm-hmm. personally I haven't I'm sure you can find it in other areas of life, but for me, that is the thing that above all else is running outside through nature. Um,
3: doing that. so, You know, the you describing it that way, I don't know if I've heard this term until uh, it was used on your podcast, but when we had the, the big group that was going to do Boonville, um, Matt, at one point, you asked him, like, what was he looking forward to in doing the 50K? And at one point, he said something about getting into a mental flow state. And I don't know if I've heard that term, but that kind of reminds me of what you're describing is being completely in the moment, both with your body and with your thoughts and just completely present that flow state. And I don't know if that's a term that gets used to describe things like this. Um, Yeah, it does. That kind of matches up with what you're talking about.
0: It does. Uh, Here's the thing. Like I want to paint the picture that like every time I go out, in the morning for a run, I'm like,
3: whoa, I'm like connected to the universe, man. Like it doesn't. You don't turn into like Mr. Miyagi. You're not always Mr. Miyagi. I'm or, not. Uh, you're not always Yoda. Well, I'll keep it in your area. Oh, yeah. You're not Yoda. always Yoda. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. I didn't want to like, <laughs> I, know, I know who I'm talking to here.
0: No, um... man. And, but it does happen sometimes, you know? Like it's not every mm-hmm. time, but I can tell you yeah. specific times. Like right now in my head, I'm like, I remember there was a time in Virginia I was running I ran to uh, McAfee Knob, which is like the prettiest part on the Appalachian Trail. And I get up there, right? And is that point? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I don't know if it's the prettiest part of the Appalachian Trail because I've never seen the whole thing. But it's super pretty part. And I got up there, and it was the perfect morning, and it was cloudy. But it was the sunrise, and the sun was like literally shooting through the clouds. It was like the prettiest thing I've ever seen. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to run back down this, this hill and, uh, get back to my car. And as I was running down, I don't know what it was, but like, I felt like an, like a, like an ape running through the woods. Like I'm throwing my hands up and stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm going like fairly fast. And I was like, Whoa, what? And I just blanked. And you know, a, a minute later I'm like further down the trail. I'm like, Whoa, what just happened? Or like a couple of minutes later, I was like, wow, mm-hmm. like that was incredible. And it do, like i said it's happened it happens but it doesn't happen all the time but that's something like you kind of chase and you know
3: you, yeah for me personally
0: I, like it doesn't happen in the first hour of a run like a regular training run it does happen in long ones when I feel terrible and then all of a sudden just randomly I'm like, Oh, I feel great again. Like, what is this? And then after five minutes I'm like, Oh, and I feel terrible again. Okay. <laughs> that was just the mountain dew wearing off. <laughs> I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay.
3: <laughs> I, I tend to run steady and slow and I don't really, I really am not like have that much of a high speed when I'm running. It's pretty much steady as you go is not very fast, but occasionally, I kind of caught myself running at a rate that like, I never run at this pace. I don't know how I like got up and, and it is fun just finding yourself at like, um, a couple minutes into a way higher effort level or speed or something and going when the hope since when can I do this? Yeah. It's fun. Yeah, man. Well, so
0: our Boonville, you mentioned it, our Boonville race was supposed to be this Saturday. Um, and it is wednesday (laughs) when we're recording this and uh man i mean i i know for all of us the training in the last six weeks has fallen a bit and for me for me i'm like it was mostly like the diet nutrition aspect which i usually dial in a little more than i have Um, but i once that goal was kind of off the table you know a lot of us you know change like change their goal like what else are you gonna do you know
3: yeah the, the laser narrow focus yeah. of that day started to, you know diminish yeah you know, that, that wasn't nearly that laser focus of every day having a goal yeah. you know but
0: but uh i threw out the challenge of like hey like we need to do something this weekend that is hard whatever that may be it doesn't have to be a 50 K like you guys were planning, but we should do something that will inspire us. You know what I mean? And beat Mm -hmm. us up a little bit and whatnot. So, um, I know you're going for it on Friday. Um,
3: yeah, I'm a, i am I have some nervous energy about it because we'll see what this day turns into, but I'm going to try and set it up to be, yeah, my longest run. I mean, that is goal number one. And longest run right now is 15 miles. But real goal then is, all right, let's see if we can get a two in front of those two digits. So at least 20. If we get 20, we'll see about 26. And we'll, if I get 26, we'll see about a 50K. Like, so I'm going to try and start the day with the biggest goal in mind. <laughs> and we'll see what happens. But I've, I've, Last night, or I've been using Google Maps a little bit. Should I take you through the whole thought process? I mean, I feel like... Hit me with it. I don't know. Um, All I know is
0: you're looping back to your parents' house so you don't have to poop in the woods.
3: This is accurate. (laughs) I'm planning. (laughs) I don't know why you get such a kick out of this. That was
0: literally like like the cornerstone of your plan.
3: I mean... (laughs) Yes. (laughs) it was like see new
0: areas comfortable bathroom experience
3: (laughs) yeah you know yes I want an aid station that involves the toilet uh (laughs) the well I found about Wildcat Den and I would use my car as that was the plan number one plan number one was to go Wildcat Den load it up with like supplies that I would need for the day and then start out early in the morning we'll just see how far I go and just have myself, like, a day. And I've run out, walk well, I've done quite a bit since being home. And I've kind of, like, the mystery and the adventure of it has, that has diminished because I know it well to the point where it's, like, a little more predictable than it used to be. But it'd still be super fun. Like, that's still a great place to go run around. And I could, like, I could make up all kinds of stuff to do. Then I thought about what if I just did my normal like daily route, which is this six-mile loop and every six-miles regroup at the house? But that's not not really exciting to run on sidewalks. So I thought uh, the race we were going to do is going to be on gravel roads in Iowa. So I'm going to run – I think I'm going to run gravel roads out in like, the perimeter around Muscatine a little bit because um, that kind of simulates what we were going to do anyway. And I've made kind of a habit of like Sunday getting out of the house. I've never really been like the, I got to take a drive, like kind of guy. That's never really been my vibe. But I've done that a couple of times since Gene just to get out of the house.
0: He he has his aviators on, window open. Here I go
3: again on my
0: own. (laughs) Just driving down the country roads. (laughs) Sun setting in the distance. Where's he going? (laughs) He's just going off to live his life. Sorry. I just wanted to paint that <laughs> picture.
3: <laughs> yeah, I know. Only, you really need to narrate a, uh, <laughs> some kind of a tale. We'll get you to do book on tape. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I've been driving around like the exactly country roads around Muscatine kind of exploring some of these areas that, you know, even though I grew up around here, not super familiar with like exactly where, where everything leads. So I think I've mapped out a few little loops that I can that I can do.
0: As your friend and as a person who's like your biggest fan or one of them. <laughs> bring it on Cindy Manriquez, but <laughs> he took a sip of of beer maybe? No. Oh, okay. no, spark, sparkling water. Why do we all drink sparkling water now? I'm guilty of it too. But anyways, um as your biggest fan, I'm just excited for Friday, honestly. And Lindsay's here and she wants to say hi to you, Brady.
3: Maybe. Lindsay?
0: How does this work? I don't know. Yeah, put the. Hey!
3: What, what, what? What How's really... it going?
4: It's, it's, you know, it's going.
0: You're on the podcast. Oh.
4: <laughs> I'm trying not to say fine anymore. I'm trying to say, like, how I'm actually feeling. I'm kind of stressed and hot like temperature she mm. is hot temperature not looking i mean
3: looking good Lynn.
0: i
4: mean i got I white agree. hair i was supposed to have my hair done today but then COVID. she looks
0: happened. like storm on the
3: x-men yeah it's not i
4: great. mean
3: if we want to talk about quarantine hair
0: well, I, was I, gonna, I was gonna,
4: you're, gonna you're, comment you're, on that beard
3: you're you're doing fine i look like i'm halfway through a werewolf transformation <laughs> right now
4: <laughs> <laughs> um you're doing good did you tell the is that doing okay Did you barf? Did you about barf looking at his elbow? That's the grossest.
3: We haven't talked about. I'm so
0: glad Lindsay brought this
3: up because I really (laughs) wanted to get into this.
4: Oh, like those noises that bones make when they're not where they're supposed to be is gross. Oh
3: god, I I don't know that you know that. I don't. That's wild.
4: Uh. Okay, my question. Oh, did you tell the story yet? No. Okay. No. Ask him who put the shirt back. Like did they were the shirts off when this happened, or who put had to put? Let, shirt, uh, let's just on. go
0: into the story. Okay, you go into the story. Thank go. you for coming on <laughs> episode go two hundred. This is like oh an all star studded event. It's a black tie. It's the MVPs. Yeah, it's the MVPs. The MVPs. you got the the. All right. <laughs> See you. Uh, <laughs> um, <Byron. laughs> all right. Yeah. So our buddy Thad, who's also doing the race, he was set on a fifty k for Saturday. And that was I was excited because I'm like, oh, okay, because I I have a plan for Saturday. I'm going to run from my house up Bear Peak, which is in Boulder, which I can see way off in the distance. And that kind of always excites me where I'm like, I want to see something in the distance and then run there and then be on it, like accomplish the goal and be like, whoa, I came all the way from there and now i'm up here like how crazy is that so mm. that's my goal so i was excited I like for saturday to have thad be joining me um and then last <laughs> last weekend i mean i feel bad laughing i i feel terrible but
3: well everything everything's fine so it's okay you can laugh okay. <laughs> everything works out
0: <laughs> because last saturday you called me i'm sitting out we had a campfire in our backyard and all of a sudden, you t- actually texted me a picture of ambulances, and you said, Thad broke his arm. He fell off the rope. And I was just like,
3: that was pretty vague. What do you mean? <laughs> he fell off the rope. That's what I, I could uh, muster real quickly. I think you're about the only person I told. Uh, and then eventually got you on the phone to clear up what I knew was going to be <laughs> a heck of a cliffhanger. Oh, uh, yeah. I know, I was like, oh,
0: is he doing the thing where he just, like, sends me this and then just doesn't say anything?
3: Could could have happened. We were, you know, high probability of that happening, too. But, no, we were, I, this is after I had the day at the farm and uh, the farmhand for the morning. And I thought, spent the, like, afternoon into the early, like, evening at Fad's house, like, in the driveway, hanging out, catching up. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to even, like. I don't even know how to tell the story. Uh, it it was kind of like raining out, so we were tucked into the garage, and his his boys came out, and they're running around and they're stomping around in puddles, and then we realized like, oh, you're <laughs> uh, sadly so like, take your you, you walk around in the yard with in the wet yard with your socks on, take your socks off, roll your jeans up. And one of his boys took took his shirt off and was running around in... and the front yard and then the other boy took his shirt off and was running around in the front yard. And then Thad and I naturally were like, boys will be boys. We took our shirts off and started running <laughs> around in his front yard. That was my, that was my when
0: you took, when you called me, you were still kind of panicked and you're just like, well, then we took our shirts off. And I was like, where's
3: this going? How's that? <laughs> to story? Well, so <laughs> it was funny. And we were just like, his boys were dying laughing. Cause anytime like, Adults have kid fun. They lose their minds. But then, like, obviously, we went back into the garage. We put our shirts back on to answer Lindsay's question. Shirts are on. But Thad has a climbing rope hanging from – he's got a bunch of giant trees in his yard. He's got a climbing rope. He does kind of like Spartan workouts in his front yard, and that's one of them. He climbs a rope up at the top and then down. And he looked back at me. He's like, you want to climb that climbing rope, don't you? I like, yeah, I kind of do. And so he's like, well, let's go. And we jog back out. Shirts on. <laughs> and uh the boys were running like in tow. And Dad jumped up, grabbed the climbing rope, like Tarzan, swinging back and forth like at a pretty good cliff, got to the top, and on the way back down, it came undone. Like and from about twelve <laughs> feet he landed oh on his God, back, dude. like both both elbows hitting the ground. Oh no and You know, I thought he was going to be, uh, it looked like he was going to have a bruised ego at best. He was going to be embarrassed. And then he said, I can't feel my arm. And in short order, we realized that he had a, I thought it was a terrible break, but it turned out to be a dislocated elbow. But so he's good. Ambulance is called. Got the boys away. But it was a little, that was a little scary.
0: Dude, his elbow, because you sent me a picture, it looks like his arm was, like, pushed, like, three inches too far. Does that make sense? Yeah.
3: yeah the elbow was jutting out that far. Yeah. It was <laughs> gross. <laughs> it was intense, too. He didn't want to know the uh, the status of it. Anytime you were saying a qualitative thing about it doesn't look good or it looks bad, he's like, don't tell me any of that. <laughs> like... <laughs> What
0: did he uh, want you to say? Just like you got, you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. uh,
3: um, as, as cool, calm, and collect as I was trying to be while on the phone and huddled next to my buddy, um, I had my left hand on his right shoulder. And even I was like, "Dude, you're good. The pros are going to be here in a minute. You can hear the sirens. You're good. You're, you're handling it like, a, and he was handling it well. He was doing a pretty pretty darn good job." putting on a brave face but <laughs> when the guys got there thankfully i took my hands off of their shoulder because i was gonna go like wave them down on uh, in the middle of the street to make sure that they got there faster <laughs> and there's a handprint where my palm has just been sweating <laughs> on his <their> shoulder <laughs> so whatever i was saying was great but like <laughs> that was a bit of a tell <laughs> that i was pretty nervous
0: and the whole time um, weren't you like we're breaking protocol
3: like, well, yeah. At one point, he, I was like, "Well, it's broken. It definitely forgetting social distancing." But well you know, that's another part of our reality. The dude, very first thing that happens here's the is thing: a guy, a guy clips on a little thing on his finger when the fire department the guys get there. Uh, make sure that he does not have a fever and they're like okay now we can do the rest of the stuff you're gonna do yeah yeah. that was definitely a part of the new reality
0: there well it's weird man it's it's totally it's kind of encouraging like human nature is to go out and give someone a hug rub their back if they're hurt you know what i mean and you know it's just it's weird (laughs) you know when it's something like that you're like i don't know what else i can do
3: (laughs) no no i don't know (laughs) Yeah, it was a little bewildering, too, because it wasn't like we could then go follow to the ER and, like, wait. Yeah. Because you can't. Yeah. <laughs> you know? They get, whoever goes there is like on their own to go there. So oh, That's weird, man. That well, was, dude. So,
0: yeah, so Thad was going to th- do status that. update.
3: Elbow's been uh, relocated. <laughs> <Being dislocated. laughs> we found his
0: elbow. <laughs> we found
3: it. <laughs> we got it. It was hiding, you know, but we found it. And... uh I think I think he's doing well. I haven't. Uh, I, I talked to him like the day after, just to recount oh God, uh, the night before his events. I, <laughs> I think He was doing all right.
0: I enjoyed in our group message uh, about the race that. Uh that Matt instantly was just like, man, that's gonna your cast is really gonna chafe your arm during your fifty k on Saturday, and I was like, all right, because <laughs> I was I was intentionally not saying anything because I'm like, I mean, I really don't want him to do anything. Like,
3: I don't, want him to hurt I don't, even more. I don't think that's a good idea. But uh to each their own. Ted bed's own man. And then and Travis, he whatever he wants. Travis has
0: <laughs> just been in his apartment in L. A. Uh or actually where is he at? Marina Del Rey. Marina Del Rey. And uh he's just doing ridiculous amounts of Peloton classes with Jess King because she's his favorite.
3: That's his like that's his event? I don't know what
0: he's gonna do. I keep throwing it out there like what if you ride a hundred miles on a Peloton during Saturday? Yeah. You know, or something like that. And he hasn't fully said he was gonna do that, so Hopefully he listens to this on Friday and is like, oh crap, I need a I need a peloton. I think
3: I think Sean's committed to like four hours of bocce ball, so he sounds pretty extreme. You know, <laughs> Sean's pushing it. <laughs> Take it to you the know? limit. I guess <laughs> like you know it's like we thought. You, and that's the thing about this podcast is we've learned that there's levels. Like there is bad running a fifty k with a dislocated elbow, and then like here comes Sean, yeah. four hours of bocce it's- ball
0: up in the ante man up in that dude. ante <laughs> sorry Sean. The, the real uh, <laughs> the real question is how many beers do you drink during that four hours of bocce ball
3: because that makes now it that's if there's if there's any of that that i have confidence in sean getting first place <laughs> I, I think you could do that
0: <laughs> well dude okay first of all i said we're gonna do a 10 minute outro and it's 40 minutes into this outro um what else like anything else you want to add are you
3: surprised
0: no because once i i texted you yesterday like yeah we should do the outro for the 200th episode and you know well it'd be like 10 minutes and i was like there's no
3: way it's gonna be 10 minutes no yeah no i mean you could you could try to edit the thing but i i don't recommend it
0: i'll just edit it so it's just you talking about sean playing bocce ball
3: (laughs) good well you uh edit the part out where i talk about being shirtless and then running around in the front yard before his friend breaks his arm why
0: why <laughs> why would i edit that that's that's uh that like uh, is endearing. A in that no story. <laughs> it's it's endearing to me <laughs> like i'm i think it's uh something i could totally see you guys doing and it's hilarious and you're just like hey, I'm going to be a kid again for five minutes. And then Thad instantly just <laughs> seriously injures himself dramatically.
3: I wonder what percentage of ER visits dad showing off.
0: <laughs> 100%.
3: Yeah. It's most uh, of them.
0: The best shot that no. you can get in a sports documentary is someone, is someone outside. They're in like a hoodie, like a sweatshirt, right? And it's brisk enough that they they exhale and the breath comes out
3: you can see their breath that's it
0: that's the best shot in the whole sports documentary it's true
3: it's true when there's like steam coming off yeah and it's cold out and you gotta hook you're absolutely right that's an iconic visual to getting some shit done for the day
0: if you ever make a sports movie you have to include that that's
3: all i'm saying I'll get right on that uh, making a sports movie thing. <laughs> you know my secret passion. Episode
0: 400, have. Brady makes yeah. a sports
3: movie. <laughs> Congrats on 200. I mean, no small con- – uh, well done. Well done is what I'm trying to say.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Hell man. an accomplishment for I sure. I appreciate it.
3: And it's been fun to be able to be a repeat guest and uh, bug people multiple times.
0: I I mean, one of the best things that's come out of this is you called me and you're like, yeah, like some of my coworkers went to the Pacific Northwest and they think I'm obsessed with Bigfoot and they came back with like Bigfoot hair and gave it to me as a prize. Yeah. And I,
3: Alex, Alex Montgomery comes back with uh, (laughs) a travel tchotchkes for me and there's a Bigfoot theme that developed a Bigfoot trifold thing where you have, like, and on the side there's a ruler so you can measure the Bigfoot footprints that you find for yourself. Yeah, There's Bigfoot hair in a vial, which is, uh, yeah, (laughs) I look like a Bigfoot fanatic. And you search me, all this Bigfoot
0: stuff shows up. That's all that shows up. Well, I guess what's resulted out of this, you know, I mean, I said that, you know, I'm not doing this to make money, but you know what I am doing it for, Brady? I'm doing Mm -hmm. it for my aunt's to send me Bigfoot socks. I think every one of my aunts has sent me a pair of Bigfoot socks. That's like the gift of choice. They're like, his podcast says Bigfoot. Here's some Bigfoot socks. I'm like, all right. And I wear them all the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Why
0: would you
3: not? Definitely. New, New socks always makes you feel good. Yeah.
0: Did I tell you about the guy? There was a guy who emailed and said... This is just gonna keep
3: going. <laughs> no. No. Uh, did I tell you about the goes. guy? So this It takes us fifteen minutes to hang up, uh, most of the time. So someone's like, Well man, I yeah, I think I gotta go. We guaranteed we'll be on the phone for the next fifteen minutes saying goodbye fifteen minutes later. It's a, it's a habit we have. This
0: guy This guy emailed me and he was like uh Hey, I have a client who wrote this book about Bigfoot and the supernatural. I think he'd be great for your podcast. <laughs> and I I instantly like texted you or Travis and I was like, I mean, should I like have this guy on and be like, "Hey, what do you think about camping?" you know? Like just start <laughs> talking about like being out in the woods, but not about Bigfoot and like how yeah. how far into that conversation would he be like so when are we, we going to talk about, you know, orbs and stuff? You know what <laughs> I mean? But I was just like, well, it's obvious
3: they haven't listened to this thing. <laughs> I, think, I think have them on. I think uh, listeners write, comment, and uh, let us know if, we, if Christian had the Bigfoot enthusiasts on. <laughs> just for a random episode. Just to throw everyone off the, the scent of what's going on here. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Um, but all right, man. Well, hey. We did it, Brady. We did we it. Did it. We did it. Never to be heard of again. Brady and I just disappear down that country road, blasting White Snake. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. We high five. The car zooms into the distance. End credits. <laughs> Where did they go? What adventures did they go on next? No one will know. You've turned into Bigfoot, man with that beard i mean it's yeah this it's... is <laughs> you know what cuz? we found him we and did, we did it. it we did it i
3: tried trying to be like a big boy <laughs> i took your shit literally <laughs> this is what happened <laughs>